I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Down the block, Andrew Johnson. Inside for Elba. Elba will score. Elba will score. Newcastle has won the grand final. He's got the ball. Jackson. Welcome back to the Rugby League Guru Podcast. Today we've got another edition of our Q&A podcast. I'm lucky enough today to be joined by the man behind Bloke in the Bar, the man that created your Victor Bra, your Gooseys, all those fantastic things we see on Instagram, Denim Camp. Uh, he joins me to answer these four questions. Number one, if England played for New South Wales instead of Queensland, how do you think the dynasty would have unfolded? Would the Maroons have gone eight in a row? Question two, does Payne Haas have the potential to be as good as Jason Taumalolo? Question three, what's one rule change you would make to improve the game? And our final question, who was the best player in their prime over the last 15 years? Strap yourself in for the next half an hour or 40 minutes. Uh, we take a pretty deep dive on all these questions. Let's kick it off. Kempi, welcome on, mate. How are we? I'm very good, thank you. I'm as good as can be, that's for sure. There's people doing a lot worse than me, but uh, definitely feeling the footy blues with no footy on, but uh, I'm sure we'll get through this. Yeah, I've been uh, spending my fair share of time on the old KO, slamming through some uh, 90s games in the last week or so. Oh, mate, I, I you know made a, a podcast yesterday basically. How I think the NRL, when they come out of this, really need to look at creating their own service like KO where they essentially control all the rights to their product and that way it will insulate us against the game and I think uh, KO is a good example of what they can essentially do especially just for rugby league I think um, I understand it will take money and all that kind of stuff but I think it's a great product great service and yeah do enjoy myself some KO just to chuck on the phone or the screen that's all all that I use I don't have Foxtel obviously it's owned by Foxtel KO is but um, yeah I just use KO now yeah there's plenty of lessons for the NRL to learn out of all this isn't there Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, like, it's interesting because it's easy to say that now because of everything that's happened. Also, so one of those things that, yeah, why not take a lesson from something that's so negative? So it's, I'm, I'm caught in the middle between it's easy to turn around in hindsight and basically say, you know, the NRL should have done this and they should have done this and they should have done that. But this is a very different situation. It's not like a, let's say there was a, a, re- a recession 
would easily get through a recession. We got money in the bank. It would. We got through 2008 totally fine, all that kind of stuff. Whereas this is a something that's actually shutting the game down. I don't think anyone could have foreseen this in the rugby league world. So I think we'd be crazy to not take lessons from it. But I also think at the same time, the fact that we can get through this next three to six months is a credit to the game uh, having the... Because anyone that knows anything about business, if you've got money just sitting in the bank doing nothing, waiting for a rainy day, you're actually doing yourself a disservice because you're not reinvesting that money back into the game to grow. And the, and the rainy day may never come. So I think they've done a good job, to be honest. Yeah, it's always easier in hindsight, isn't it? Mate, uh, we've got four questions to get through today. Shall we dive into them? If Greg Inglis plays for New South Wales instead of Queensland, how do you think the dynasty would have unfolded? Would the Maroons have gone eight in a row? Now, in my opinion, I think Queensland would have dominated that period, but I don't think they would have gone eight in a row. What are your thoughts? Absolutely, definitely wouldn't have gone eight in a row. Without Greg Inglis, that, that team's incredible, but people need to understand that Greg Inglis broke the game open so many times with a big run. Um, he was the difference a lot of the time, so... Yeah, I, I totally agree. If he plays for New South Wales, and you've got to remember, it's not just it's not just Queensland losing Greg Inglis, it's actually New South Wales gaining Greg Inglis. So it's like a you know, let's say you lose a let's say you lose twenty percent of your strike power, you're actually also having to deal with twenty percent extra strike power from New South Wales. So it's kind of like a, a double whammy. So yeah, definitely wouldn't have had the um, dominance they had without Greg Inglis. He was absolutely huge all through that series. Definitely, like I mean, absolutely. Um, Greg Inglis during that period, he played 19 games. He scored 10. Uh, sorry, he scored 15 tries for Queensland and had 10 try assists. Incredible, isn't it? Oh, I mean that's insane. You know, like 10 try assists over an eight. It was 10 try assists, 15, 15 tries, 10 try assists. Yeah, over 19 games. Incredible at the highest level. At the highest, highest level against other centres that are considered the greatest of all time, like a Gaznia or I mean, absolutely incredible. I, I think people just. We have such short memories, but Greg Inglis at his best was absolutely unstoppable. The, the the best outside back of all time, in my opinion, the best outside back, period. He was absolutely destructive and did things we've never seen before on a footy field when it comes to, you know, we've seen strong centres being able to bump people, but we've never been able, we've never seen a, a strong centre that's also one of the fastest in the frigging game being able to bump people the same as a short, stocky, really powerful centre. Um, he was absolutely incredible. I think the thing that would have had the greatest effect on this eight-year span is that realistically, if he was playing for New South Wales, I think he would have found himself in the fullback jersey instead of being stuck on the left-hand side in a um, corridor playing centre. I mean, during that time, we had uh, Anthony Minicello when he came back from his injuries. We had Brett Stewart, you know, a lot of really quality guys at fullback, but never did we have the option of having someone like Greg Inglis in that spot. What sort of a change do you think he would have had if he was playing fullback for New South Wales during that period? It's interesting because, you know, would have he, it's just such a hard question because obviously if he excelled at fullback, you know, he did get a bit bigger at the end of his career. So I don't know how he would go with fitness. I mean, if we're talking prime Greg Inglis, he would have been absolutely incredible at fullback. And Jared Hayne comes in as well. And, you know, where does Jared Hayne play? He was, Jared Hayne was one of New South Wales best when he played. So I, I just think that New South Wales with Greg Inglis is a totally different beast. And I think not even to Queensland, but absolutely they are, not going eight in a row without Greg Inglis on their side, that's for sure. Because as much as now, as you look back, and they went eight series in a row, they were so dominant. Like, 
so many of those series, the game was in the balance and it came down to a moment. And quite often, Greg Inglis was one of the men that produced that moment to win the series or win the game. And if he was on the other side of the fence, it really could have been a completely different story, couldn't it? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. As I said, like you've got to put into perspective, not only do they lose Greg Inglis, they've got to defend against Greg Inglis. And also, who, which centre for a Queensland you, that you're choosing to replace Greg Inglis? You know, it, it was... It was Greg Inglis at centre, and then uh, you know, obviously Hodjo on one side, but the other side, like, it's a huge gap between your next best centre and Greg Inglis when it comes to defensive and attacking. So, mate, honestly, Greg Inglis stays in New South Wales. Um, it's a we're looking at a totally different scenario, totally different scenario when it comes to the dominance Queensland had. Let's move on to our next question. Uh, this one's an interesting one. Does Payne Haas have the potential to be as good as Malolo? In my opinion, I think he definitely does, and I personally think he could be better than him. I mean, we're looking at Payne Haas. He's only play, he's played under 30-odd first-grade games. If we look at what Malolo was doing in his first 30 games, the potential on Haas is massive. I, I know my, my stocks are probably higher on him than the average person because it's so early in his career. How do you see Payne Haas going? Oh, I mean, he's absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. I think I, I personally, like obviously, you know, it's not like I have a thing against a comparison, but I, I think it's hard to compare them. Like obviously we can compare them, like it's it's fun to do, but they're very different positions and players. Like obviously Taumalolo could play front row, but um, I think Taumalolo and Haas, like they, they are quite different in the way they play. In saying that, I do think he has a potential to be better only because if you look at the start of Taumalolo's career, he actually kind of struggled for the first year or two. Um, people, you know, kind of forget that, but his discipline and everything, and he just he just didn't seem to be confident. He was coming out of school, he was a bit fresh. Whereas you look at Haas, like, not only his incredible abilities um, on the field that, are, you know, blow everyone's mind, it's his mental toughness and discipline that is truly shocking in the sense that a guy like that coming through grade usually has it so easy because they're so big. You just got to look at, like, a Dave Taylor, that mentally they don't build that kind of calloused mind of toughness and grit and going 80 minutes. Whereas Payne Haas, his mental fortitude is incredible. You know, he's making try-saving tackles in the 80th minute. And I think if there is a difference, um, and not to say, because Tamalolo has kind of learnt that. He's got that now. He definitely does that now. But if there would be a difference, it would be that Haas already has that at such a young age. Um, he definitely has a potential. The only thing is injuries, you know. Can he, can he stay injury-free? Um, the last thing, you know, you want is him to get a few injuries and all of a sudden he kind of loses a, a step or two. But he absolutely... There's no front rower, in my opinion, that has ever had a better start to their career. I don't think anyone comes even close. You've even got guys like Petro Sivinasiva already saying, like, this guy is like something else. So I totally agree. I think he's got the potential to not only be as good, but maybe even better, especially because at 18, 19 years old, he was already one of the best in his position in NRL. Whereas, like, you know, look at Tamalola. He, he did take a while to get to the point he is now. Now he's... In my opinion, he's one of the greatest forwards of all time already. Like, I think you should already put him in that category. And I don't think, on his day, I don't think there's any forward better than him currently. But, uh, yeah, Haas definitely does have the potential. Definitely has a potential. I think the thing that scares me the most about Payne Haas is that for his age and the amount of uh, first-grade games he's played, his match awareness is incredible. Like, Malolo in his first two or three seasons, was nowhere near that level. I remember him having Thurston just pulling him by the jersey, putting him into spots, putting him where he needed to be. Haas just seems to be able to slip into his position, his structures, where he needs to be. It's like he's been there for 10 years, isn't it? Yeah, and it's very different because, you know, Tamalolo was 
basically a gun that could be good, but he needed a bit of time. Whereas Haas essentially has the whole team on his back right now. Not, I'm not saying he's carrying the boys, not not at all. But what I am saying is, is that without Payne Haas in that Broncos side, it is a fucking very, very different side. Whereas when, when Tamalolo first came in, it was a young guy trying to find his feet. Whereas Haas is essentially their go-to guy already at 19, 18 years old. So I, I totally agree with you. He, he's... I really think, um, you know, I'm not going to get into, you know, I'm not religious myself, but I do think there is something to be said about religious men having something to ground them and keep them focused. And it seems that that does give him a lot of direction and, and um, positive kind of mindset. Um, you know, you've just got to look at him fasting, the mental discipline to do that. I think that takes a lot of discipline to fast and also play. So I just think that he, he has all the things when it comes to off the field sorted. You know, he's uh, he seems like a very devout, sensible man, you know, doesn't go too crazy. And I, I definitely think that can help your footy. Now, it doesn't necessarily have to be religion that keeps you disciplined. There's other guys like Cameron Smith who aren't very religious, but they're so disciplined off the field and they've got other things that keep them disciplined. I'm just saying, if there is a big factor that keeps a player disciplined outside of footy, it could be your misses, it could be anything. It actually is, plays a huge role in the longevity and the way you play on the field. Uh, the thing that, Im- like, I've been impressed with him and bowled over with him over the last 18 months, but last night I um, I posted a thing on my Instagram comparing him to Glenn Lazarus, which, you know, these comparisons, they are unfair, but, you know, I, I just think I've got such high hopes for him. I, I think he's going to be the best front row we've ever seen, and I put up a thing comparing him to Lazarus, and he commented on it saying, appreciate the love, bro, but no way can I ever compare to Lazarus. He is the GOAT for real. And just sort of said to me, like, fuck, the kid is so humble. He's so grounded. Even to go out of his way to say that, like most blokes would look at it and ignore it and just let it go. It just spoke volumes of the sort of character he is to me. Oh, absolutely. And also just just to say that, like, just to be able to say that, you know, a lot of young kids, even if they thought it, they wouldn't like publicly say that. But it's kind of like he's so humble, he doesn't even want the comparison yet, which is, yeah, I totally agree. I think that although his physical attributes are incredible, it's actually his mental attributes that are, are what are going to take him into the same realm as some of the greatest uh, forwards of all time if he stays injury free i'm going to shoot one out of the cannon for you you're starting an nrl club tomorrow you're the coach and you get to sign one of those two forwards on a 10-year contract who do you go for oh man well i, I just think you'd have to go with Tamalolo because he's proven over the last what five six years that his bang for buck is incredible Whereas like Haas, like, you know, he's had 30 games. And although if you just looked at individual games, you could be like, okay, maybe Haas. We just don't know, like, what's his longevity like? You know, what's his third and fourth season like? What's he looking like in his fifth season of NRL? Whereas like Tamalolo is in like, what, his sixth, or sixth season of NRL? Yeah. And he's putting he's breaking records in his sixth season of NRL. So I just think at this stage, um, if you, it, it's, it's actually unfair comparison because Haas hasn't had the opportunity to show the same amount of footy as Tamalolo. So at this at this stage, I go Tamalolo because he's proven that, you know, whether it's his third year or his sixth year in the NRL, he's still breaking records. He's still doing incredible things. It's uh, safe money in the bank, isn't it? Oh, man, absolutely. He's proven it. Like, he's been... His 10-year contract was one of the most shrewd signing histories. And, and just like Hass's, you know, if Hass has another one or two good years, his six-year deal will be one of the most shrewd signings in the club's history. It's funny when you look back, like I was thinking about it last night, looking back on that 10-year deal when it first happened, and everyone just stood there and went, what the fuck are you doing, a 10-year contract? What What yep. is that? It's an absolute bargain, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And I think also with a guy like that, you know, it's again, it's easy to say in hindsight, but with a guy like that, he would get to the point, like let's say he's not playing good footy, the club would just make his life hell, and he would just be, they'd just say, all right, pay us out a year, and I'm, I'll go, or whatever, like whatever they paid him out. 
So I don't think it's as... It, it, it was a, don't get me wrong, incredible signing, but I don't think it's as risky with a guy like Tamalolo as we first assume because people don't understand that it's actually quite easy for a club to move a player on, just like, you know, put him in reserve grade, just basically say, look, you're free to look, look elsewhere. We'd really like you to move on because most players don't want to stay at a club they're getting told to leave at. It's a very weird and awkward situation if you if a club's sitting there going, we don't want you, we want you to leave, to actually just say, oh, no, I'm going to stay here for another six years. You know what I mean? So, yeah. It's a, it was a definitely a shrewd signing, that's for sure. Let's say in 20 years' time, when we're looking back, who will be considered the Cowboys' best player ever? Do you think that Taumalolo can overtake Thurston, possibly? Oh, man, that's a fucking tough call. It's, a, it's almost like sacrilegious, you know, like Thurston, Cowboys, you know. Oh, man. If he wins another premiership, I think that he could genuinely be discussed as... The only the tough thing is, it's the reason why Thurston is considered so great. It's actually, you know, obviously his club footy was incredible it's i think it's more his origin feats that really push thurston into that next level of immortality if he is going to be immortal whereas like you know the sad thing for tamalolo he's he never gets to prove himself on an origin scale and it's it's usually our goats are usually you know they kind of put the nail in the coffin for them being goats in origin level you look at freddie you look at joey like all of their origin performances are like what we really look back on and go wow like that was the the incredible moment darren lockyer billy slater so I just think that it's going to be very hard for Tamalolo to be compared to the goats in that sense because he hasn't had to be, he hasn't had the opportunity. Could you imagine Tamalolo in Origin? You know how much big, he would be already considered the goat pretty much if he was in Origin, just barnstorming through teams. So yeah, it's very rare we find we consider someone the goat unless they've played Origin. Oh fuck, it's a tough one, but you know he's got the credentials there to catch up to Thurston in my opinion. It's crazy to think you've got. At one club, the two best players the club's ever going to probably have, and they're both fucking initials of JT. It's got the heart. It's got the leg. I think it's there. Yes, it's there. He has kicked the field goal. Uh, Our next question, and I love this one. This is just a plethora of options here. One rule change you would make to improve the game. I'll let you open on this one. Is there anything you'd change? Oh, man. I would... It would be more just a, a way of thinking, but I, I, again, I haven't really. It's hard because it's so easy to say, but we don't have the. You know, the thing with that when NRL make changes, they usually practice it in like scrimmages, uh, a training, just to see how it goes. But I would honestly, basically say all 50-50 calls go to the attacking side because we want we want to make this game exciting. So any time we're sitting there going, oh fuck, I don't know what you know. Like, that was a, was it a knock-on? Was it a knock-on? You just go to the attacking side. Um, I know that some people might go, well, that's really unfair on the defensive side, but it's unfair. It's, it's not unfair because both teams get it when they've got the ball. Yeah, I, I just think that, like, it would really speed the game up. It would be much clearer in the sense of, like, you would know the ref's intentions as to why they made that call. Whereas, like, right now we're in this really grey area of, like, oh, like, it wasn't a strip, and then we got the captain's challenge, which I don't really like because I feel like it slows the game down too much. The only other thing I would do is remove the video ref and have a coach's challenge or a captain's challenge for that. I do think the video ref really does hurt the game. Like, it's, it really is a buzzkill when a guy goes over and then we're sitting there waiting. You know, like we lose that excitement of basically living in the moment of the try. You know, back in the day when they scored a try and the ref gave it, boom, we're all up, we're in the moment. Whereas, like, we're waiting sometimes 30 seconds to a minute to, to, to live that and it's kind of like oh you've seen it 20 times you already know they're going to give it a try but so you lose that kind of excitement so there's, there's two kind of things I would look at again I, it's such a hard job man I, I take my hat off to the refs and the people making those choices because I, I do think that they don't get enough credit for the good things they do 
Yeah, for sure. And I think the, the word that stood out to me when you were talking then was the word excitement. We should be trying to build the excitement in the game. Some of the options I was just thinking of today, like personally, I would tenfold prefer golden try over golden point. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, absolutely. I've been, yeah, that's a, I've been saying that for years, man. Like obviously not, you know, like I'm constantly saying it. But yeah, I mean, I don't understand why we decide a game by something that is not actually important to our game. If we took field goals out of the game, it wouldn't change the game one bit and not many people would miss it, if anyone. We wouldn't even notice it. Whereas if you take tries out of the game, like, that's the one thing that the game is about. It's tries. Now, people have talked about fatigue and everything like that. I just think that, all right, well, you just, if it's a fatigue issue, you just do drop-off or something. Every five minutes, a player drops off. I don't know. Like, every two minutes, a player drops off or something. I don't know. But what I, I do think it should be golden try. It would be so much more exciting seeing the players just like, you know, having that balance between just throwing the ball around but also not wanting to have a knock-on. Who knows? Maybe it's extra time and it's only 10 players on the field, golden try. I don't know, but I do think golden try would be good. The other one that I would like to see change, and I understand why we brought it in, and I think at the time it had to be done, the seven-tackle set, I would like to see it change that because I think what it's doing now is it's taking away attacking footy when you're Agreed. in the red zone. So I would like to see if you put in a kick, say, from the 20-metre um, to the try line and it goes dead, it's it's just a 20-meter restart. It's not a seven-tackle set. I feel like we're punishing teams that are trying to create attacking footy, so they're cautious with their kicks, and instead of getting to last and actually taking the line on, they'll just get a hooker just to take the tackle in the corner. They'll umbrella their defense in the corner, and I think it just makes for boring footy. I don't know how you do it, because obviously the seven-tackle set was brought in because teams were just kicking the ball dead. Yeah, to get a breather, get your defense set. And I, I don't know how you change it if it's from the 20 metre inwards, but I think something has to be done there. Do you agree? Oh, I totally agree. I think I, I think 20 metres is a good spot. And basically, I think like you can... The thing is, is like if you're on the line, so the 20 metre and you kick it dead, you've actually done yourself a disservice because you you lose ground. You've got to defend from the 30 and the 20. So, And I think um, that's I, a punishment enough. Absolutely. Like, like I mean, if you, if you, you just go... If you kick it dead, quick taps... Quick taps force the defense to get back online quickly, so they don't have time to to rest. Um, yeah, I don't I don't like the seven, seven tackle set because I feel like they're being way too punished for such a small error. Um, and also, agreed, it doesn't actually promote attacking. It it promotes safety. It promotes taking the ball to the ground if you have to inside that twenty. Um, yeah, I agree, man. I, I really think that they should get rid of that and just and again, I think every decision. I said it on my podcast yesterday. Every decision. In my opinion, the NRL should go, all right, this year, guys, just so you know, all the decisions we make are about making the game more exciting. It's all about attacking footy. We, we care about, like, you just say. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Making the game more exciting. And that way, everyone understands it then. You know, like they understand, okay, let's get rid of this seven tackle set because we want the, you know, attacking footy to be more exciting. So I'm with you on that one. Yeah, 100%. And it's, you know, and I, I don't know how you do it once again, but I hate the fact when you see a team take a shot at field goal. And, you know, to be honest with you, before you said it, I've never even thought about taking the field goal out completely. 
But I think it's a fucking brilliant idea because at the moment you're taking a shot at field goal with a few minutes to go, games are tied, and the other team gets a seven-tackle set. Like, you have to really shit the bed to not win the game off a seven-tackle set, in my opinion. It is just such a huge advantage for such a small error. Something's got to change there for sure. Absolutely. Like you go for the field goal, get a seven-tackle set. They just take fucking five hit-ups. Kick it into like kick it into a corner or, or or even just like fall on the ground in within the twenty meter mark or within the ten meter zone of their opponent and then they just shoot out of the fucking line keep their opposition in their thirty and then all of a sudden they got field position and it's game over. Whereas um, yeah the field goal I've never been a fan of the field goal I just don't know like it's we never do them in the game so why are we deciding games with these it's just this tiny skill set that's never used but we decide games with them it's just bizarre to me but that's you know what it is it, it's because i didn't play footy growing up so like i'm kind of looking at it from a perspective of a lot it hasn't been a part of my culture like it's not something that's been a part of my game so i, I guess that's kind of why i see it that way whereas like I, I assume that people that have played it growing up it's like well it's just always been that way field goals are part of the game but for me personally it's like well it actually doesn't like i don't I've never really seen it that much other than, you know, at the end of games, deciding games. Yeah, look, I, I you know, I obviously grew up playing footy and, you know, like, I, I, I just don't think we need it in our game. I think there's too many negatives that come off it. And, you know, the NRL's opening up a can of worms every time there's a field goal kicked. The referees are watching the man that's kicking it. They're watching the play the ball. They're watching the guys that are offside. And after the field goals kick, Fox Sport will play 25 replays of the defenders' feet to see whether they were onside or whether they weren't. And, you know, we then has backlash on the refs because they get to make a decision after watching 14 replays, whereas the refs have to make that split decision in one second. It's just you're just opening up for a shit fight that makes the game look bad, in my opinion. It's it's actually like it's actually not an intelligent, not actually a fair go. So, like for example, if I'm a defender, I can't just scream at him and try to block the ball. I've got to be cautious of like taking him out, hurting his legs, landing on his knees, like. There's so many things I've got to worry about as a defender, whereas all he has to worry about is trying to get that ball over. It's actually not a 50-50 challenge. It's it's a, it's more in the favour of the kicker because I've got to constantly be like, fuck, even if I do charge him down but I take his legs out, they've got a penalty and it's a fucking you know, conversion, game over. Yeah, I, I just, I've never been a fan of field goals. I don't think they add anything. Like, There's not a single person that says, I would rather the game won by a field goal over a try. Like, There's not a single person that watches rugby league that enjoys... That like, let's say, all right, you've got the option of Cherry Evans kicking a field goal from 30 or him making a break and, and scoring from 30. Yeah, which one's more exciting for you? I'm pretty sure it's the, the break, you know, scoring the try. Yeah, it's, and mate, like, I even look back to that 2015 grand final and, like, unbelievable, incredible moment. We'll never forget it. But I think in that situation when Ben Hunt made that mistake, like, Brisbane should get the opportunity to defend for their life. Queensland should have to break yeah. down their line, not wait until... They're able to throw the ball back 30 metres and have a pot shot to win a premiership. I just, you know, I, I think that that game, if it went to extra time and it was next try wins, that would have just been an, an even more incredible moment, in my opinion. Well, you know, it, maybe I'm biased. I'm not sure if everyone has the same memory. But what's me, what's etched in my mind is the felt try. It's not the field goal. Oh, like, right. I, you know, I don't, I don't remember the big moment for me. That was like just... Oh, paid by numbers like oh yeah of course like he dropped the ball yeah of course he's gonna you kick the field goal it's Jonathan Thurston whereas what isn't paid by numbers is that try and everyone going holy moly like so I just think that's literally exhibit a of you know I'm I'm, a, I'm confident most people remember that try over the over the field goal when they think of the grand final it's funny isn't it like everyone talks about Thurston's field goal you're right but fuck Michael Morgan came up with the best oh. play in rugby league history that night as far as I'm concerned 
it's either him or Joey John Short to side 1997 in my opinion. It is. Fuck. At least Joey had the moment at dummy half to look up and see the line and maybe try and see an opportunity. Morgan just got the ball off nothing. He was practically standing still and ran 50 metres sideways and created like that. For, For me, that's... My best player ever in rugby league. That was incredible. He, he it was out, out of his bad hand too. Oh. He was to, like, so he was practicing it during the during the uh, the week. And Matt Scott was like, "Mate, don't do things you don't normally do." And and Morgan was like, "Yeah, all right, sweet, I won't do it." Boom, gets to the final, out of his bad hand, flicks it, try time. Oh, fuck, unbelievable! Like, imagine if the extra time would have finished in a play like that instead of JT kicking a field goal. And here's a perfect example, and you know, not to give myself a fucking rap or whatever, but I think I know what you're going to say, and I was yeah, just but, about to say yeah, it myself. Off you go. Yep. Yeah, but yeah, but here's an example. Like this was against Parramatta Eels. Yep. It's a nothing game. Like it's a nothing game, and yet a lot of people consider it one of the greatest finishes to a game of all time. And it, it was a nothing game. It was just a normal season game. But why was it? It was because it was a try in the corner. Whereas there have been plenty of games on the siren that have been done by a field goal. But we don't remember them. We remember the tries. It's 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 that's what the game's about. Yeah, I I think tries is definitely the way to go. It's funny, mate. Like you could show me a hundred play the balls on tape that lead to field goals. I wouldn't know what any of they are. But in that Brisbane game, when that play the ball first yeah. goes and you see Lockett, you know from that moment what that play is, how it's going to unfold, and it's just fuck yeah. We we once again without blowing smoke up your ass, that is a ten times better finish to a game than a field goal without a doubt. Oh, absolutely, and you can just hear in the commentator's voice like they don't they don't say that about field goal. They're not they're not all literally because they're a field goal. They're similar, like oh, like play by the numbers. Oh yeah, he's we know he's going to go for a field goal. He's he's set up twenty meters behind. He's about to go for a field goal. Whereas like a try like that, they don't know as it's happening. They're riding the play like holy shit, this is actually happening. You know, so yeah, I'm I'm with you, bro. Mate, when that play happened, was was there a call or was was it just instinct from Lockyer to see space and just trust you'd be there? Well, I put my hand up to, yeah. to put it in behind, but um, someone actually just sent it to me the other day. It's in his biography. He he just said he saw a little bit of space behind the winger, and he just did it. And so, I what like, about the room just, service bounce? Came with a knife uh, and fork. The thing is, like obviously the bounce was really good. Um, and again, not to give myself a rap, but I actively thought like a lot of people in that situation, they usually wait for the bounce because yep. if. Most people, you don't just run full pelt onto a bounce. That's the da- most dangerous thing you can do, especially in that scenario, because it's not like the, the, the footy's coming from sideways. It's not coming directly to you where you can just run onto it. So my thought was basically, when he kicked it, I thought, I'm sprinting as fast as I can. I'm not slowing down one step. If I do, I know I'll get caught. And if I drop it, I fucking drop it, whatever. So it was just like everything happened perfectly. Perfect bounce, right where I needed it to be. It was just, It was one of those moments where everything just clicked. I'm extremely lucky, that's for sure. Mate, the last rule change I'd like to see made, which has been talked about heaps, is the interchange being dropped. Um, I'm sure as a um, as a winger, you'd agree. Like, I watch the modern game now, and I watch I watch the halves who they, you know, they, they work their way around the field, they kick to their corners, they tire down the opposing forward pack, then the forwards go off for a 20-minute breather, they sit around for 25 minutes, they come back on, and they're full of energy in the last 20 minutes when that should be the time for halves and your little wingers and your little X-factor players to really take advantage of the tired blokes on the field. What are your thoughts on the interchange drop? Oh, man, it's tough because, like, you know, you're basically out the big fella. Uh, you know, it's it's... I think there is room in our game for the big fellas to be doing good stuff. I think it's it's still, if you complete your sets, you can still fatigue the big fellas in 10 minutes anyway. So, yeah, I, I don't want to, I, I don't know. I'd have to have to really think about it. I think that 
the game is already brutal enough. People don't understand how brutal it is on their bodies. To reduce interchanges, you're just making it even more brutal. We've seen all the injuries and stuff. Yeah, I, I think I think the interchange is good. I think it's actually more teams' faults if they haven't got a, a tired forward pack. Because if you grind a game down, you, you can make a forward pack tired in 10 minutes. Because 10 minutes of work is a lot of work, especially if you're keeping the ball in play, you're completing your set. Yeah, so oh, I'm not sure about the interchange drop one. So in your opinion then, is the interchange big enough or do you think they need more? Or do you think no, it's fine as it I is? I think it's good. Yeah. I think it's good. I think it's good the way it is. You know, I, I think it's it's yeah, one or two less, or one less or one more. I, I don't. I just don't think we should change it dramatically. I, I think the boys are already struggling for fatigue. You know, it's... That's a it's a huge decision for a decision that we could use other things to change uh, to make the game more fatigued. So, for example, when people lie down on cramps, boom, keep going. Like, don't even don't even think about stopping the game. Whereas at the moment, players literally, oh, I've got a cramp, and the game is stopped for a cramp. Unless a player is like fucking knocked out um, or like writhing on the ground, I think you just keep going. Um, and that, little things like that, like captain's challenge, you know, running to scrums, all of this stuff slows the game down. Whereas if we took all that stuff out. We wouldn't have to change the interchange. The blokes would be gassed anyway. So I think that there's actually other ways we can speed the game up to um, make sure that forwards are gassed. So let me ask you this. Right now, if you're a um, if you're a young bloke coming into the NRL or you're in the 20s or you're in the Harold Mats and all that at the moment and you're a forward, you're obviously looking at your blokes like Jake Trevojevic, you're looking at Taumala, you're looking at Payne Haas, who have these incredible motors. Do you not think that in 10 years' time or so, these kids coming through are going to be going, fuck, I've got to have the same motor as these guys? Like, in my opinion, forwards are only going to get fitter and fitter and we're going to start to see more and more of these 80-minute front rowers. As much as it's freakish, it's how the game is adapting. Do you think then we would have to bring it down or do you think it's it, it's safe where it is now? Now, forever. Well, I think that like I wouldn't look to Tamalolo or Haas if I was a young player. Um, you know, unless you are also genetically gifted like them. I would look at, at Jake Travojevic. You know, he, he's he's genetically gifted, but he's also just mentally tough as shit. I, I don't think I think we have a tendency to believe that you know the you know people and are just getting bigger, stronger, faster really quickly. But it's I think that's more a science thing. But I don't think it's going to be as dramatic over the next ten years as it was the last ten years. I, I think we're looking at outliers, which are has. There's not many 80-minute front rowers like that. Um, so, and if they are 80-minute front rowers, they're more, you know, like Clemmer sometimes plays like 70 minutes or whatever. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't try to make a rule with an exception. I would basically say, look, I'm, I think it's good where it's at. And I don't think we're going to see very many Tamalolos or Hasses over the next 10 to 20 years. We might see like two to three, but we're not going to see... Um, it's to the point where it's really affecting the game over a whole. We're more, we'll more watch them come in and be like, holy shit, these guys are freaks kind of thing. Yeah, that's a fair shout. I'd sort of, you know, if I was a coach, I'd be leaning towards my forwards playing as much minutes as they possibly could nowadays. Um, but yeah, we'll see how it unfolds. Let's go oh, to our... Yeah, I mean, if you, if you can, great. Yeah. Like, I'm not saying don't. I'm not saying, oh, I'll just say, like, you, you need to, if you can be an 80-minute player, absolutely be an 80-minute player. Um, but what I am saying is, is like, don't go making rule changes of the exceptions to the rules, you know, don't go, don't go considering uh, reducing interchange because Tamalolo and Haas are incredible genetic freaks. Um, and, and, you know, Travojevic, who is literally one of the best players in the game, um, is a gun, you know, like I think we have to rather at the mean rather than the exception or the outliers. It'll, it'll be interesting to see how long they are the exception for though, but you're right. They might just be once in a lifetime freaks. We only see, maybe we're just privileged at the moment to have as many guys as we do like that. You got to look at like, for example, Glenn Lazarus was essentially, you know, yep, without a doubt, front rower. Yep. 
Um, and we haven't seen someone like him for a, quite a while. We've seen Simo, like Webke was, you know, up there. He played a lot of minutes. So I just think it, it, it's we, we aren't, as humans, evolving that quickly where it's just like all of a sudden these kids can just fucking play 80 minutes. For, for a little bit longer, we'll still see genetic outliers um, coming through. It's like, you know, once in a generation, we'll get a Greg Inglis, we'll get a Jared Hayne, and then we'll get a, a Latrell Mitchell. But these these are the the best of the best. Uh, no, they're not they're not something that we're going to see on average. And it's just like Hassan Tamalolo. These are the best of the fucking best. Some of the greatest of all time potentially. Whereas like most players aren't going to be that good. Take the kick. Kicks now. Looking for a regather. Hey, no, he's got the ball. Jared Hayne. What a play! Oh, superstar, superhuman. Let's go and have a look at our last question. Who was the best player in their prime over the last 15 years? So we're looking 2004 to 2019. Fuck it, there's just a plethora of talent there, isn't there? The ones that sort of come to my mind, first of all, 09, Jared Hayne, obviously. Um, So we're talking about like prime, prime, like as in their best seasons or whatever? Best season, yeah. Just their best period of time. Um, I'm, you know... Jared Hayne 09 obviously comes to mind. I think of Andrew John's 2005 Origin Series. What guys come to your mind? Um, Lockie 2006. Uh, yeah. Thurston 2015. Hayne 09. Barber 2012. Tedesco 2019. Um, Freddie Fittler 2004. Yeah, his last year was 2004. I think I think he's one that that's forgotten his his years when he was post 30. They were just on another fucking level, weren't they? Yeah, he came back out into Origin, didn't he? And he won the series and like got that match winner or some shit. Played in 04. Yep, had an absolute yep. crack of that series. So you got Freddie Fittler, Greg Inglis, 2007. Yeah, I, I think another one that's very underrated was um, Toddy Carney in 2010. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't he get close to winning Dally M or whatever? He, he did win it. He yeah, did he win it, mate. That was insane. Yeah, yeah he essentially yeah. won it in um, playing two positions too, which was just fucking incredible. He was something special that year. If you had to pick one, who are you going for? Hayne 09. Hayne 09. That's, that's the best footy we've ever seen. You know, when it comes to out-and-out form, um, you know, Tedesco's, like when we're comparing just fullbacks, I feel like, you know, Tedesco's match winners in origin and the grand final, you know, that's just fucking incredible. Plus the year he had. Um, and then obviously 2006, Darren Lockyer. He won Origin. He won the Internationals. He won the Grand Final. He won everything he could win, pretty much. He essentially won every trophy that was possibly presented to him that year, didn't he? Except for the Dallium. He never won a Dallium, which is bizarre. But isn't that just a fucking robbery that him and Freddie never got one? Oh, it's a joke. Like it's it just it just shows you that the system is a bit broken. I, I do think they need to overhaul that Dallium system. So, so you started your career in 2007. Were you like, were you obviously in the lower grades and around the club in 2006? Yeah, I was in the first grade squad. In the squad, uh, yeah, right. Yeah, so yeah. What, I didn't what, play, but I was, yeah, I was in the squad. What was it uh, like being around Lockyer that year? Like, you're just on another level to everyone else. Uh, what, what, what was the mate, feel? You know, it was weird because because it was only my second year of rugby league, so I didn't I didn't know what was going on. Like, like, it's hard to explain. Like, I didn't grow up watching footy. I didn't play any footy, so. People might think like, "What are you talking about?" But I didn't even—I didn't know the greatness that I was witnessing because I had no context to put it into. Like, I just thought, "Well, he's a gun. Like, he's the fucking—he's a gun." Um, it wasn't until I spent more years in rugby league. You got to remember, like, it's my second year of footy, and so like going into that year, I'd only played literally like maybe 25 rugby league games, like of ga- of rugby league, like maybe 30. Let's say we'll say 30. We'll say 35 rugby league games in my whole life. Didn't watch it growing up except for like once you know, or twice at my granddad's house. 
So, you know, I was fully into soccer. I watched the Premier League. I went to England for it, everything. So I just didn't know what I was witnessing. I was just in this squad and, and my whole energy was put into just like learning this game. Like I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know who the goats were. I didn't know, you know, I just, I knew Steve Randolph was really good because my granddad used to love him. But other than that, I honestly couldn't tell you. Like I, I didn't know anything about it. I never realised you didn't have that much experience. Like, I, I knew you hadn't played much league. I didn't realise it, it, it was to that extent. What what effect did Wayne Bennett have on you then in those few years? I imagine, fuck, it must have been a godsend for you to walk into a club coached by Wayne Bennett. Yeah, he was just really good at understanding what I needed, especially me and Darius. Like, he was really good at understanding that, like, you know, he, he can tell the whole other, you know, a lot of the other boys, like, I want you to fucking rip and tear and, like, you know, dominate the opposition there. But he understood that, like, me and Darvis, we're not that kind of player. Like, so he, he sat us down once and he basically said, like, look, I understand you aren't going to try to dominate and, and be aggressive and hurt the opposition, but I, I know you are both extremely passionate young men about, you know, being the best. I need you to use that passion to be the best this weekend. And when he said that, I was like, man, you fucking get me. Like, I'm, I'm not aggressive in the sense like trying to dominate someone, but I'm just as passionate, if not more passionate and competitive than nearly anyone. So, you know, he was speaking to me. So I was extremely lucky to walk into a squad with Wayne Bennett as a coach, that's for sure. Mate, did you ever have that moment at the Broncos where, you know, because you were getting used to the game, you were, you know, at training or in games or whatever, you were just caught so far out of position because you didn't know where you were and just think, fuck, I'm out of my depth here. Did, did you ever get to that point? No, I was, mate, I was so confident um, in my sporting ability. And because soccer is is a much hard position, much more hard positional game, actually, I, my positioning was actually really good because I'm a winger that has to drop back and, you know, get on the kind of seesaw. It was actually really easy for me because it's like a, you're like a right back pretty much, a right winger right back in, in soccer where you, you might be a defensive right wing. And so essentially you can attack, but you'll kind of sit a little bit behind the lot, like, you know, in the right pocket, and you can come across and fill in for the centre centre back when it comes to soccer. So yeah, positionally wasn't an issue. Um, there was never a time where I was like, oh shit, this is too hard for me. But there wasn't like my first training session. I did like two tackles on the pads and had to stop because I, I had no shoulders. Like I'd never tackled before. <laughs> like the week before I went to Clydesdale training, I had my old sprinting coach trying to teach me and my brother. Like my brother was like running the ball down the line, not even he didn't have a ball in his hand, and he was like showing me how to tackle, like where to put my head in that. Because I didn't know how to tackle, so it was that I was. It was, but there was never a time where I was not confident in that I would play in a role, though. Mate, it's a crazy fucking story. Yeah, it's bizarre, bro. It's, it, when I look back on it now, I think you are fucking mental. Like you're going to the Clydesdales, the, the reserve grade for the biggest sporting franchise in the country, and it's a week before, and you're not even on a footy field. You're on a running track with your brother who's studying to be a doctor, running down, and you're getting taught how to tackle. Mate, when you said to me before we started recording that your brother's a doctor, I sat there and went, what the fuck is going on in this family? What, what, one of you isn't related. What, what, what's doing there? He just, yeah, he's just fucking smart as shit. Like, he's actually the youngest medical director in the country, so the youngest person to run a hospital. Um, he He's just a gun. He was also in soccer too, though. Like, he went to England for soccer, got offered a contract with a club called Nottingham Forest, which is just below the Premier League, um, but decided it wasn't for him, came back, um, and you know, got high distinctions in business and then parlayed that into a medical, into pre-med and then into medicine. And then, yeah, now he's a doctor um, running a hospital. And then my sister's, she was like the chief editor of um, Who magazine. And then she was like the chief video content creator across like all those magazine, magazines. So we're pretty fortunate in uh, our job positions, that's for sure. Something in the water at the Kemp household, eh? It must be fucking something. I didn't get the water. It must have been feeding them fucking special water or some shit. <laughs> Mate, uh, it's been a pleasure having you on. Um, for those that are listening, 
what's going on with uh, Bloke and a Bar Beer? Where can they uh, get you over the next few weeks during this chaotic time? Mate, uh, yeah, go to our Instagram and check the highlights for locations. Go to Facebook and check the highlights for locations. We're in Queensland, New South Wales, and Canberra. Go to blokeinabar.com and check the locations. But I would get in quick because last time we sold out, you know, really quick. Yeah, like any support, I would really appreciate it. It helps the it helps me create content for the footy community. That's basically where all the money goes. You know, it's obviously it's not like it's a huge beer company or whatever, but yeah, it's basically you know the more beer that gets sold, the more content I can can create. So. If, you, uh, if you're partial to a beer, give it a try. If not, it's all good. I hope you're doing well. It's one hell of a drop, mate. Uh, all the best over the next few weeks. I'll uh, talk to you soon. Legend, bro. See ya. See ya, brother. Thanks again for tuning in to the Rugby League Guru podcast. Uh, we know it's grim times with no footy on, but we've got plenty more content coming across our podcast and on our Instagram page over the next however long it takes for us to get our beloved footy back. So stay tuned. If you enjoyed the podcast, make sure you like, share, and subscribe to all your mates. Keep kicking the corners, and remember, always play smart footy. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.